LightSource is available free of charge through studiolighting.net. You can support LightSource by visiting supportlightsource.com. There you can donate through the tip jar, purchase a lighting DVD, get a discount on website hosting through squarespace.com, or you can visit our affiliate links for Adorama or amazon.com where you can shop for camera gear or photography books, and a portion of those proceeds will help support LightSource. Hi, this is Joe Edelman. I am a modeling and advertising photographer based in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and you're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 86 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer with iStockphoto.com. On today's episode, we're going to have a return guest, Joe Edelman. He's a commercial photographer from uh, actually local to us. We keep saying this, and we should get these guys face-to-face for these interviews, but maybe one of these days we'll have to make a trip down to Philly and visit Joe Edelman. He is a commercial photographer, deals a lot with models and building model portfolios, and we catch up with him and kind of see what he's been up to in the meantime and just kind of talk a little bit more about lighting technique and photography. Yeah, Joe shared a lot of really good information, as he always does, about things you don't really think about when it comes to modeling portfolios. And uh, he even gives us some iPhone photography tips. So. <laughs> yeah, those were really amazing because I was playing with some of his suggestions and tips, I think, while you were doing the follow-up questioning from it. So uh, speaking of iPhone, you were doing a, a photo a day with yours, weren't you, Bill? Yeah, actually, I just I just got an iPhone, finally. I'm only a couple years behind everybody else, but I'd love it, as I expected I would. So I decided to try to do an image a day, and I made it to about 11 or 12 days so far. Let's <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> That's a tough assignment to stay on top of. It's easy because the camera's always with me, and that is great. But I just, it's the uploading, and, you know, I'm try- what I'm trying to do is keep the image processing and everything on the phone. So I'm not dumping them in the Photoshop or anything like that. I just want to see what I can come up with strictly on the phone. It's kind of a challenge for me, a little creativity exercise. And I think it's a fun exercise to do with keeping the rule of keeping it all in the phone. Now, I use Photo Effects by Tiffin. I mean, have you found a program that you like best for doing your photo effects in? I do. I like that one. I like Cool Effects, which is also a Tiffin product. And uh, I have a little page full of camera apps that I use for different effects. There's one called Cinema Effects that was inexpensive. You know what? I end up using Shake It Photo a lot as a final because it adds a it adds sort of a Polaroid instamatic frame and does a little bit of hip processing at the end of after you've pumped the saturation and stuff. It's kind of neat. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, that was a fun one. Actually, if you have your sound on, it sounds like a Polaroid camera used to sound and then you have to shake your iPhone to get it to develop. <laughs> so it's, it's a little fun. Speaking of iPhones, another application that made a big announcement this this week, I think, actually was, I don't know if you remember the On One software that we had talked about a while back, which allows you to control your DSLR mm-hmm. from your iPhone, sort of remote control for your DSLR. And at the time, it only supported Canon DSLRs. Uh, this past week, they announced Nikon support. So, Oh, cool. Yeah, especially for cameras that have that have live view. I haven't tried it yet, but you can actually see the live view on your phone. So if the camera's in a remote, hard to get to position, or if you're you know, trying to do something in a studio and you, you have to walk up to a model or something to explain something, that might be a neat way to handle that. Oh, that's cool. Now, I know that that 
particularly that feature wouldn't work for me because I wouldn't have a, a 5D, so I wouldn't be able to see the live view. And I would be curious to see. Now, I think it says that it requires a Wi-Fi enabled computer, but the computer doesn't actively require being connected to the Internet. So you basically turn Wi-Fi on on the notebook and for the lack of a better word, or actually to steal some Bluetooth terminology to the phone. So I would be really curious to see how that would work because I know that I've had some issues with putting my iPhone on the Wi-Fi and then connecting to it through a web browser to download some audio programs from uh, like the Griffin iTalk Pro oh, right. application. Um, I've had where it just has real dodgy connection to the iPhone and it wouldn't actually complete the full download of the file and I've had issues with it. So I'd be curious if anyone's had experience with this or if you get a chance to try it, Bill, to find out exactly how reliable that connection is and how well it works. Yeah, I'm thinking about bu- purchasing it to try it out. Uh, there's two versions. There's a light version, which just allows you to fire the shutter. And it's only $2. But then there's a full, the full version is $20. But it adds a lot of other things, auto bracketing, burst mode, a bunch of different features that you can't get in the light version. So I, I might try it out and I'll, uh, I'll update you guys as, uh, as we go forward. Yeah, I might actually have to, uh, to drop the two bucks just to test it. Good deal. Well, speaking of testing stuff, I was going to uh, dig out the lights and do some cool bicycle photography here before it gets too cold here in the East Coast. Yeah. Starting to think again about the whole remote triggering light situation, and it looks like the radio poppers are something I'm getting interested in again. There's some pretty compelling statistics on those devices. (laughs) The the biggest one being the price, I think, for, for people who are considering the full pocket wizard outfit. And that's kind of where I was headed to. I was really thinking that the new Pocket Wizard setup was, you know, it's really cool. I like the hypersync. I like a lot of those features. And I, I was really thinking about trying to lean that way. But part of the problem is it's just very, very pricey. I right. mean, it's just, you're looking at about $220, $200 per unit. Right. And you need, you need a pair. At least. At least a pair. I guess the big thing that's that's keeping me from wanting to go that route is... I don't know that I would gain a whole lot more. Well, actually, I should back up. Radio Popper has a, for the people that aren't familiar with it, it's a, it's a similar to a Pocket Wizard setup. It's a very inexpensive set, and they have a set called the JRX. And specifically, the JRX Studio is the one that I'm looking at, which is basically a sync cable type connection. So it would work with your Alien Bees. And I guess there are ways that you can connect it with a handheld TTL flash as well but you are basically going to be working with it in like a manual setup as opposed to ETTL like the the Pocket Wizards do. Right. The big thing that I would not get from the Pocket Wizards is that my flash that I use is a 550EX. I don't even have the 580EX that has the ETTL2 and all that new speedlight technology. Right, so a lot of the features of the Pocket Wizards would would be lost on your on your current speedlight. Correct. I'd have to upgrade my speedlight put another $450 into a speedlight right. to be able to benefit from the additional $400 that I'd be spending. Well, what's a little worse is that if you're a Nikon user, currently they don't have the new versions of the Pocket Wizards system out yet on the market. So if you're in a short-term purchase situation, your your options are even less. You know, right. Good. So what are the things about the, the, uh, the juniors that you thought were interesting? 
Well, the big thing that I think is cool is, you know, and we've talked about this a number of times on the show that, you know, we're we're basically alien bee guys, you know, because we're, you know, we have affordable light setups and that's basically what we use. The Popper Juniors come with a, a set of dip switches that, that I, I think I read somewhere that pretty much needs a little quick key chart that you stick in your pocket to be able to remember what all the little dip switches do. But I think you have eight of them and that will allow you to manually control the power of the lights that you have in I think up to two or three groups, I think, is what you have. So if you had a key light and a backlight or a fill light or anything like that, you could put them on two separate groups and actually adjust the power of those alien bees from the camera without having to go out to either one of them. That's pretty huge, actually. That's a big deal. That's big. And especially since, you know, anytime I'm doing any kind of light work, yeah, I'm really not using speed lights. I'm not I'm not really using a, a strobus type setup. I'm digging out my bees just because that's they're reliable. They're they do good lighting. They give me more than enough power, and and I have a strong back. So when I if I want to go outside, I can take my power pack with me. Right. But yet being able to have all that functionality kind of is tipping my skills as opposed to going with the pocket wizard and getting a lot of the the cool hypersync features. There's more options than just the pocket wizards now. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely at the least there's some competition entering the marketplace, which should be good for all of us. It's a small, pretty small operation. These guys are developing this stuff. I believe that the guys that created it were wedding photographers that basically needed a high speed sync solution for them for themselves. So it, it's neat to see that there's you know people that have a need for themselves that they went out and tried to figure it out, and yeah, it turns out that it's something that a lot of people are really interested in. Excellent. Well, you have to let us know if you end up purchasing a set. We'll get to play with them. I think I got the green light from my wife and. Uh, <laughs> I have some iStock funds coming through, so I think Wednesday I'm going to pull the trigger on it. Excellent. We'll have to figure out what the shipping time is, and then we'll set up a shoot and go from there. (laughs) That's great. One other quick resource that we'll have to put in the show notes. I'm sending you a link to it right now. Uh, We've talked about this website before. It's a really good design website, Smashing Magazine. Yes. They have a really good article that was just out just a couple days ago. It was called 50 Free Resources That Will Improve Your Photography Skills. Hmm. Some of them are people that we know. Some of them are places that we've been or and uh, there are some really interesting ones that I'm looking forward to checking out, like the EOS. It, it, I was trying to figure it out. It was, it's, I was like, the oh, the EOS cars? I was like, what does that have to do with it? And then I figured out it was the E-Oscars. Oh. <laughs> Figuring that it's, it's all digital SLR movie making award. Excellent. Site. So that, that's something that's interesting to check out. Links to National Geographic Photography, some good tools like the DOF Master, which they also have for iPhone. So it looks like it's a pretty, uh, pretty robust link list that would uh, would keep you busy for several hours. I will have to check that out as well. It looks really interesting. There's a bunch of good stuff here. Oh yeah, it, like I said, stuff that we've known before, and some of the stuff that we didn't, that I didn't know before. But excellent. Uh, yeah, definitely worth the. Uh, Worth uh, when you're bored at work, don't tell them we said that. It's <laughs> good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, yeah, we have a good interview here with uh, with Joe Edelman. I believe we talked to him for a good while. So unless you chopped a whole lot of it out, Bill, uh, we'll probably have a good long one. Yep, it's going to be a good one. this edition of the light source we have with us a return guest this evening we have joe edelman back with us you can follow along on his website at joe edelman.com joe thanks for joining us again uh thanks for having me guys it's been a while 
Yeah, it has. I just right before we started recording, I went and looked. And I think it was a. Uh, it looks like October of '06 when we had you on the show last. So, uh, what have you been up to in the last three years? I'm still shooting people. That's <laughs> that's what I do. That's what I do as often as possible. I shoot people. Still working on modeling portfolios. I guess really the only big difference in my world lately. It seems I'm doing a, a lot more lecturing, doing a lot more workshops, and actually having a lot of fun with that. But business otherwise, it's holding up good. The economy has not been too much of a disaster. So I'm knock on wood, just having a good time. <laughs> well, have you, we've talked with a couple of photographers that were on the show, you know, a while ago and have come back to visit and, you know, where they've revisited their style or, you know, tweaked their style or the way that they shoot or the way that they process their images. How do you feel like that's worked for you? Are you still kind of keeping your same look? Or are you changing it up and doing something completely different? I don't know that I'd say completely different. I, I think it's always a work in progress. I'll be the first to admit, I'm one of those guys that gets bored really easy. The problem that I have is that a good chunk of my work with doing modeling portfolios, contrary to what you may think if you look at some of these modeling websites online, modeling portfolios are actually not all that super creative. The creativity comes in getting the energy out of the girl and really making the picture talk. The actual images themselves are, are kind of simple. So it, it can get to a point every now and then where you're feeling like you're in a little bit of a rut creative life. So, you know, the challenge for me, especially in that space, is looking for things that are a little bit new, a little bit different, a little bit exciting, but yet are selling the girl, not, you know, what kind of whiz-bang cool stuff I can do. Aside from that, then, yeah, when I'm doing kind of my own stuff or fun stuff, yeah, I'm always trying new gadgets, trying new things. My big thing lately is white. I'm in a serious white phase in my life. I don't know why. I don't know how it happened. I'm just all about white lately. So <laughs> no, something to, to do with the purity of it. I'm just having having a blast with it. Now, when you're talking white, are you talking like white backgrounds or are you talking about bringing the white into the subject as well? A, a little bit of everything, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it started out with white backgrounds. I guess about a year after we last talked, I changed studio spaces. And in the new studio space, I took a, like a 12 by 12 foot corner of the room and painted it completely white. The walls are white, the ceiling's white, the floor's white and proceeded to hate it after I did it. But what the heck did I do this for? It's really not that useful. <laughs> I, I never really liked white backgrounds. I was kind of found them kind of boring and kind of sterile. So over the course of the last two years, it's kind of been sitting here staring at me, and it was this section of the room that I just kept covering up and putting other backgrounds in front of it. And finally, one day, I just did like faux window light effect, which really was nothing more than, you know, it was all backlit. All the light was thrown behind the model. I put two white scrims on either side of the lens and literally just, you know, exposed for whatever light was coming off of those scrims and just got some stuff that I was absolutely thrilled with, just fell in love with it. And that kind of started the whole trigger, I think, that sent me down this path. And so it's a little bit of everything with white. It's, it's, the goal is whenever I do it is not do kind of the 1980s version of a white background that's basically a stop brighter than the subject and a cleanly lit subject. I've been working with a lot of literally backlighting and exposing for the ambient light that's hitting the face. I've created these two eight-foot-tall soft boxes using Bogan's autopulse and just simply some white ripstop nylon parachute material with strobes behind them and you know, kind of creating this faux window light at the same time. And I think part of what's really kind of gotten me hooked on it of late if you go through my website, if you look at my pictures, I'm all about the eyes. 
I don't care if the girl's wearing a bathing suit or she's half naked. If the eyes aren't working, the picture's not working. There's just, there's nothing there for me. So part of what I'm really enjoying with this is kind of just the purity of the setting that it actually makes it that much more important that the personality is really coming through, that there's something, you know, in that girl's face, in her eyes, in her expression that kind of really grabs you. So yeah, I guess I guess that's been my my big hook of lately. I actually have to kind of force myself to not use the white. I'm, right. you know, I'm, I'm just having a lot of fun with it, experimenting to see how many ways that I can can play with it. And it's I guess part of what I like about it too is technically uh, a lot of the lighting, especially the backlighting, the stuff that kind of replicates window light, especially like you know the girl standing in front of the window concept. Technically, it's it's mistakes. You know, it, it's not what we consider by textbook perfect lighting. You know, we're not talking Rembrandt lighting. It's not clamshell. It's none of that kind of stuff. So that's, I guess, also where I'm having a little bit of fun with it. You know, it's a little bit irreverent. You know, it's breaking the rules, but it's coming up with stuff that looks really neat. And it's not like it's artistic and that kind of stuff. It's stuff that girls are still able to use in their books. You know, they can still market themselves really well with it. So it, it serves both purposes. So in terms of lighting, Joe, just to make sure I understand, you're primarily using large light sources and just sort of making a real natural feel to the room? Primarily, that's what I'm doing in the light, yes. There's basically two main arrangements that I'm using. One is just taking a photogenic strobe with like a Brawley umbrella on it, a 42-inch 40, a Brawley umbrella, you know, shoot through, and just blowing that into the corner of this white space behind the subject. And then, you know, right on either side of the lens, I've got two two-foot by six-foot panels, white panels, that are just kicking a little bit of that light back, and I'm shooting through those panels. That's the one version that completely gives you the effect of like, you know, the girl standing in front of a bright window. And of course, you're just letting that whole background blow out. It creates kind of a glow around her. The other version is, I, I mentioned using the, the Bogan Auto Poles. I've basically got two of them set up that are on the side of this white space. They're about four feet apart. They're about nine feet in height, eight to nine feet in height. And I have white ripstop nylon stretched over them. Two photogenic heads are behind them, one about two feet off the ground, one about six feet off the ground. And I just shoot those through it. It just gives a really, really nice kind of window light effect, keeping in mind that I get a little bit of bounce back off the white wall. So it actually gives me a ratio. It's not like it's a completely even kind of light, but it's, there's, there's really no shadow. Everything's very soft. It's probably a progression. When we talked the last time, you guys were asking me a lot about the fluorescent lighting, you know, that I was playing with at the time, which I still play with. I still use that a lot. But I think this is kind of a progression from that. It's a light that's very soft. It's a light that's very natural. It wraps and it shapes really, really well. And it, it's kind of the complete opposite of what you do with a traditional glamour lighting, where you're actually using lights that are really a little bit harsher, but using them to control shadows and wrap parts of the body. Right. Whenever possible, I like to be able to give my model some space to move around in. Even if it's a new model where maybe she's not that comfortable doing a lot of moving, I'll choreograph kind of some movements for her and, and let her work within a space. And it's nice to be able to just have the ability to not worry about, you know, if she's going to slide out of my light or slide back into my light. It, it gives me kind of a broader space to be able to work in okay. and not have to worry about, you know, am I going to lose that key light or am I going to lose that rim? Is that what's causing some of the double catch lights that are, or are those more hard lights? Because some of them, like I, as soon as you said eyes, that rang true for me as I looked through your portfolio and some of the model portfolios. Mm -hmm. There's a lot right. that have this really cool double catch light. Is that from that or is that? A lot of the double catch lights are probably the fluorescent lights that we talked about before. Okay. 
I'll be honest, I'm a little delinquent in getting some of this newer stuff up. There's a few things up there from this, this new white setup that I'm doing. Most of those double catch lights, if they're the vertical catch lights that you're seeing, right. that's that fluorescent lighting fixture that I talked to you guys about last time. And it's modified a little bit since then. It's kind of been improved a little bit, but it's still you know completely a, a do-it-yourself fixture that is great for doing headshots, three-quarter length shots. I've used it occasionally for a full length shot, but it, it's really best for you know more close-up work. Great. Well, while we're talking about your images that are in some of these model portfolios too and backgrounds, I, mm-hmm. I've noticed that there's a lot more, they look like location shots, but are you experimenting with different types of backdrops or are those digital backdrops? Uh, both. Weather permitting, when I can, I try to take a girl out on location at some point during her portfolio shoot. Okay. You know, great example, tomorrow I have a girl that's here from Baltimore. It's supposed to rain like crazy here in Allentown tomorrow, so I'm probably not going to get her outside. So, indeed, one of the shots that we have planned for her shoot, she's a young 20-year-old girl. We're going to be doing a shot of her as a college co-ed, okay, because it fits her age bracket, it fits her look. So, indeed, for tomorrow, I will most likely, unless the weather breaks, I'll most likely wind up doing it in the studio. When I do my digital backgrounds, I actually shoot on a gray wall. Obviously, the whole green screen and blue screen effect, you can do that on any color. You can do it on white. It doesn't matter. You just need clean edges around your subject. So I happen to do it on kind of an 18% neutral gray simply because I have 18% neutral gray in almost none of my images anywhere. And so I will use digital backgrounds for her college co-ed shot so that it actually looks like she's... So it's actually going to be a walking shot. It's going to look like she's walking on a college campus. Okay. So, yeah, and the website, if you're looking through the website, if you're looking at, like, the lifestyles gallery, that stuff is actually mostly shot outdoors. But beyond that, throughout the site, you'll see a lot of shots. There's some stuff in the glamour section. Uh, there's some stuff in the swimsuit section that looks like outdoor shots, and they are their studio shots. I think I was seeing a bunch in, like, the commercial images and stuff and was wondering if there's, yeah. some of those were composites and stuff. Yeah, almost all the commercial images, if you're seeing a location, it's a composite background, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I do quite a bit of that. Well, I shouldn't say I do a lot now. I used to do a lot more. Again, I get bored. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> I, I was doing it long before they had the masking software and all that kind of stuff. My methodology is actually really primitive, but it works just incredibly well. The biggest thing for me when I do that kind of stuff, and I, in all my workshops, people ask about it, and I get people that'll bring images and they've tried, and of course it's a disaster, and they can't figure out why. The biggest mistake people make when they're trying to do the digital background concept is they do it after the fact. In other words, I'll do a shot, and it's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, the background really sucks because I wasn't paying attention, and, you know, maybe I can make it better. So, gee, let's see if I can cut the subject out, and I'll throw this picture together. Yeah, you know, if you do that 100 times, you might get lucky once and have a picture that works out really, really cool. This college shot that I'm doing tomorrow, I've already got two backgrounds sitting on my laptop, ready to go. So I know what the perspective is on the background. I know where the light is on the background. So I know how I've got to set her up. I know what kind of camera angle. The one I can shoot standing up because it's kind of pretty much an eye-to-eye kind of camera angle in the background. The other one is a very low perspective with a building, you know, kind of looking up towards the building in the background. So that's going to be a walking shot where I'm actually going to shoot very low okay. looking up at her. And my background will be clean. You know, there's not going to be any junk in the background. There's not going to be any accident. And so literally, I mean, I'm going to be able to open that image up in Photoshop, use a select tool on about, you know, a 10 or 15 tolerance and one click select my subject. Wow. 
So I don't really need, you know, the matching softwares and all that. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good matching softwares out there, but I've just been doing it this way for so long. As long as I have a clean background, I can have her out of the background and on top of a new background in, in, you know, about three minutes. So do you shoot some of these background images yourself or do you location scout and so forth? Are you using stock for some of the models? I will location scout for the sake of finding places to go and and do, you know, shots along the way because, again, I get bored with locations once I've used them a few times. The backgrounds, I'm always shooting backgrounds. Up until probably six or seven months ago, I always carried, you know, little Nikon cool pics with me if I was out and about. That way I didn't have to drive my wife crazy carrying gear, you know, (laughs) but I always had a little camera. And and now I am a hardcore, devout, iPhone-crazed person. You know, I I love them. So the iPhone's with me all the time. I shoot backgrounds like there's no tomorrow. Really? Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, the three airports, I was just out in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago. I was waiting for them to come arrest me in the airport because they have this really brand new airport in Indianapolis. It's really cool with these neat hallways and windows. So I was waiting for a plane. I was like a kid in a candy shop. I'm going around <laughs> taking pictures like there's no tomorrow. And every now and then security guards are looking at me like, why are you taking pictures of an empty hallway? Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I do that kind of stuff all the time. Now, would those, the resolution isn't really an issue because it's a background then? It's not really an issue because, number one, I mean, most of the times the background's going to be a little blurry. Right. I mean, not always, but the majority of the times where I drop a background in, it's not a full-length shot. Okay. Majority. Right. Okay. So it's real easy to go ahead and, you know, create kind of a faux depth of field scenario with backgrounds blown out. I used to simply just do a Gaussian blur effect. I'll, I'll admit I'm really hooked on alien skin bokeh. It's awesome. So now I will actually do the blur in bokeh just to make it a little bit more realistic because I can get more of a, a true kind of diaphragm type blur right. that you don't really get with Gaussian blur. So yeah, I've kind of added that into the mix. But um, no, the resolution is generally not a problem. I mean, I've back in the early days when I first started playing with it, every now and then I would go out to, you know, a stock site and grab an image. And I always felt very guilty doing it, even though, of course, I was paying for the, you know, the background to do it. Right. <laughs> my pictures, so I kind of felt guilty. And hence, that's when I started shooting backgrounds like crazy. But even then, I always bought the low resolution one. Because it was cheap. <laughs> you know, I'd buy the low resolution one and just stretch it on out. And of course, it would pixelate. But then I'd hit the Gaussian blur on it and you know, it was fine. Excellent. Nice. Yeah, I thought you were going to tell me that you were using the iPhone as just like a reference and GPS location and all that kind of stuff and then go nah. back later and do that. I'm surprised to hear that you're using those in your finals. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I hate it. Well, I mean, I mean, I have the 3GS now, so it's a, it's a three megapixel camera. Right. I've actually made some really nice 8x10s out of that. I haven't gotten, you know, geeky enough yet. I'm going to do it one of these days, but I haven't gotten geeky enough to run some of them through genuine fractals. But I have a feeling, you know, it, they'd probably blow up pretty nice. I mean, it's not a 24 megapixel image, but still, they're not bad. Yeah, so, for the, the cool part of it is if you, if you have an iPhone, if you play with it enough, you can even change your exposure to the iPhone. Even though it doesn't have an aperture, you can control the exposure in that camera. You just got to be a little creative. Are you going to leave us hanging or are you going <laughs> <laughs> to... Okay, I don't know if you're an iPhone guy. Right, well, okay, so there's two things you do. The, the one is, is really hit or miss. Play that one first. And the other one works really well. The one that's really hit or miss, if you need extreme exposure differences, you need to find something to kind of balance the camera on so you're not hand-holding it, okay? Get everything framed, set it up, put your finger over the lens, and that immediately opens the aperture all the way up. Huh. Okay. Then as you start to take your feet off the lens slowly, the aperture will start to react right away. And as soon as the camera locks in focus, it's still going to be overexposed. So if you're trying to lighten your image, that's how you can get the lens to open up. But you got to get your timing just right. You've got to release your finger off the screen at the point where you've got the right, right exposure. So it's very hit or miss. I admit to that one. 
The second one that actually right I had, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you try it. The second one that I've had great results with is the aperture somehow, and I don't know all the tech specs, so I'm, I may get some hardcore Apple people that are going to kind of say, wait, he's got it wrong, but in practice, this works. So I don't know exactly what the technical aspects are, but with the 3GS and the ability to change where the focus is, the aperture will react based upon where you focus. So as an example, let's say you're doing a landscape, like, you know, late in the day, kind of sunset type thing. If you tap the screen and put the autofocus in the sky, you get a very deep underexposed kind of image. This is silhouette of the landscape and then the nice colors of the sky. If you then tap the focus down in the, in the, the ground area, it will let the sky start to blow out, but you'll get a really nice exposure on the ground and it will ignore the bright sky. Huh. So you can use where you focus, especially if you're photographing a scene. And let's say there's a building in the scene and there's a tree in the foreground and there's something else beyond the building. If it's a whole scene with that camera and that lens, you've got enough stuff to feel. It doesn't really matter where you focus. Right. So, you know, I'll pick an area in the scene that's going to give me the exposure that I like and I'll let it focus there. There he is. He's I, it. I hear, I hear the camera. <laughs> <laughs> So again, it's, you know, it's one of those things. If you want to spend the time and play with them, you can you can actually do some some really cool stuff with the iPhone. I've actually not to get way off track here, but there's a plugin called Camera Bag right. that does replications of like the old Helvet cameras and the Lolos and you know all that kind of stuff. I've been having a blast with those things. That's excellent. I just I've been shooting like crazy, and, and I'm trying to get myself. I'm trying to discipline myself. You know, I'll admit with all the social networking and all that stuff, I use it to market my business. But I'm trying to discipline myself to do at least an image a day. Excellent. I, it's not that. This is a creative idea. People are already doing it. But I'm determined to get myself to where I can do it. I want to be able to post an image a day with my iPhone. So I've been playing around. I think it's amazing. I love it. It's cool technology. I've always been a firm believer the best camera for any shot is the one you have in your hand. So great part of it is it's on my hip, like practically 24-7. My wife will attest to that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea, taking pictures of backgrounds. And, and even if it's just to use it for inspiration, but using them in an image is even better. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Well, I mean, sorry, it's the, the iPhone. I mean, any of these cameras now, they're, they're perfectly suited for doing location scouting and that kind of stuff. Uh, right. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of people out there that would have a scenario where, you know, they do a shot email to a client and say, hey, what do you think of this spot? I'd be one of the type of people in Hollywood are using that kind of stuff keenly at this stage of the game. There you go. I have another question about backdrops and backgrounds. Yeah. Because I... Uh -huh. One thing that I, seems to be a theme anyway is that you do a really, really good job of matching the colors of the background and the hues in the background with like outfits, for example. Is that something that you typically think of that ahead of time? Do you match the outfit to oh, the backdrop? Or yeah, you... absolutely. Uh, well, no, I match the backdrop to the outfit. As an example, I, I mentioned I'm doing a shoot tomorrow with a young lady from Baltimore. So she's coming in. In fact, her outfits are hanging here in front of me. She's already hooked up in a hotel for the night, so she gets to bed early and doesn't have a three-hour drive in the morning. Uh, so her outfits are already here. They're already set up in order, and my shot list is already posted on the wall. So I already know for tomorrow what order I'm shooting the outfits in. And obviously, I knew what the outfit the tour before they got here. I knew about a week ago. I signed off on them. She signed off on them. I knew the colors. I knew the styles. I knew what shoes she's wearing. Two of the outfits sounded kind of funky when she gave me the description. So I had her take a picture of them in a mirror at home, send them to me. But, so I already on my shot list, I know what order I'm shooting them in. I've already made the decisions. What kind of light am I using? Am I shooting daylight? Am I shooting fluorescent? What am I doing? Am I shooting strobes? Whatever. I know what color my backgrounds are. I know where my locations are intended to be, weather permitting, of course. So all that information together, because that also helps my makeup artist tomorrow so that shot by shot, she knows what the plan is. She knows what the concept is behind the picture or what 
you know, we're trying to accomplish with it. And she's actually, she saw the list two days ago because I'm a little bit crazy. I, I told you I'm shooting this film tomorrow. I'm doing 14 outfits. Those 14 outfits, we're going to change her hair. We're going to change her makeup. We're going to change the lighting. We're going to change the background wow. 14 times. So in order to do that also, I'm sure you can imagine, we can't, we can't like make the girl's face like really crazy for the third picture and then take all the makeup off and then start over. Right. One, that just eats up ridiculous amounts of time. And two, you know, most girls, their face is not going to like that process. So with makeup, we have to be able to build on the makeup. So the more dramatic stuff comes at the end of the day. The clean stuff comes at the beginning of the day. And so this way, the makeup artist, she's also kind of had input to say, yeah, this sounds good. The color scheme should be fine. Not a problem. Or she's been able to push back and say, hey, listen, can we move this one up here? Because this color is hard to work with and I can't really take it off once it's on. That type of thing. So it, it, it's all about it's all about planning. And for me, because I'll admit, I'm a little bit OCD and, <laughs> you know, kind of very anal about details, which obviously I'm sure you can imagine that doesn't really go well with being creative. So... So my thing is, I kind of create the perfect storm. You know, I, I've put this girl kind of through a boot camp planning process. We've gotten everything ready. We know that we've got all the right outfits. We know that we've got a good mix of colors. There's not too many of the same color. You know, we don't have any floral prints that are going to be so busy and crazy that you don't see the girl. We've got all the right stuff. The makeup artist knows the plan. I even give the girls a checklist so that right down to the point that they're told when they can wash their hair for the last time before the photo shoot. Nice. Uh, so that way tomorrow I can come in and honestly for the first like hour I can just kind of kick back because I'm actually setting the studio up now tonight while I'm talking to you guys and so my first couple of shots will kind of be preset ready to go and believe it or not even though I planned 14 outfits which in theory is 14 shots I'll come out at the end of the day with 17 or 18 completely different shots because other ideas will come from that and as busy a day as it is we'll finish, we start at 9.30 in the morning we'll finish up around 5 I'll still have a lot of leeway that I can experiment and play, but I can do it with the comfort of knowing that at the end of the day, she's going to have a really, really good range of pictures to be able to walk into a modeling agency and market herself. That's excellent. Yeah, so it's all, it's all about the planning. Definitely. It's all about the planning. But as far as your, your previous question about the colors and that, yeah, I usually start out with the outfit. The girl kind of drives that part of the process, unless I found something that I'm working with. But generally, the girl's going to tell me, hey, these are the colors that I have. So then from there, I will try and pick a color that's, you know, either the same or complementary. Again, with the modeling portfolios, the, kind of the challenge is, even if we're doing a character like this co-ed picture that I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, it's all well and good to go on a college campus and shoot on location. It gives them a little bit more of a reality feel. But it, it's kind of a bit of a juggling act because at the end of the day, the picture still has to show how convincing the girl can be as a college student. Right. Not how cool is Joe Edelman with backgrounds <laughs> and lighting and not how amazing is the makeup artist that he's brought in to do, you know, the makeup. So even like you guys, are, you know, you guys are kind of trolling around on my website. If you kind of compare, if you look at the image galleries, that's all the cool whiz bang stuff. You know, that's kind of me bragging saying, hey, this is what I can do. Right. If you look at the sample modeling portfolios, the ones where the pages turn all by themselves, you'll notice that those pictures are actually a little bit simpler. Okay. They're a little bit more basic. The backgrounds are cleaner. And where I do have kind of the cool whiz bang stuff in there, it's always at the very end of the girl's book. All right. That's really more about my creativity, not about her modeling. Interesting. So. Oh, okay. How do you handle like a comp card for her? Is that separate or is it part of? Uh, that's that, well, depending on what package you know the, the girl's contracting to do with me. That's generally part of my packages. Most of my packages include the comp card design. So you know, once we've done the editing and we we touch whatever images are being done, I will design it, 
And basically, she gets a proof print of it and two press-ready files. They're like 27 megabyte TIFFs, one of the front, one of the back. And then I have arrangements worked out with a couple different comp card printers for discounts and that, which is kind of part of the package they get from me. So I don't handle the printing. Comp cards are tough right now for models. It's, it's kind of like the necessary evil in the business. They're going away completely. Oh, really? They're, they're, they're going to go away. Well, I mean, you think about it. Number one, you know, we're all about being green. So makes sense. Number two... With all the digital technology, what happens now is a girl prints a comp card, and it is, it's unfortunate, like, kind of like any agency wants the comp card. However, what happens is the girl mails the comp card in, calls them for an appointment, goes in and meets them, hands them the second one, and if they sign her, the first thing they say to her after they sign her is, listen, when you get home, can you email me a copy of your comp card? <laughs> and then they never ask her for a comp card again. So she's sitting with a minimum of 100 comp cards for, you know, for most printers. And the only time she's actually going to use those comp cards again is when she goes out for castings or auditions. Okay. And, you know, as much as it would be great to think that a girl in a market like Philly or Baltimore, you know, is going to use 100 cards in a reasonable amount of time, nah, not really. Because even in a lot of the auditions, she'll take one with her, but they'll never take it from her. And especially for actors and actresses now, a lot of the casting agencies are using online systems so that they still need an acting headshot. And indeed, their agents will still tell them to print an 8 by 10 acting headshot. But yet they hardly ever hand them out because if their agent puts them in for a casting, just what will happen is they show up at the casting when their name's called. There's a laptop sitting on the desk with the people that are doing the casting and oh. they're eight by ten sitting on the laptop. Uh, so it's it we're you know, the industry's kind of in a little bit of a transition. There's always going to be some form of a composite for models. Whether it winds up being a web page with a bunch of pictures or whether it be, you know, winds up being one file, I, I'm not even going to, you know, try to guess how that will format itself. But there's always going to be that need to show a select of pictures. It's just that I think the printed version is going to be history probably within the next three to five years. That's interesting to hear that. Well, how about some of the poses and such? Even in the simple model portfolio of samples that you have, there's mm-hmm. a lot of action shots. Yeah. And I, I know we might have touched on this in the last show, but it's been a while. So are you matching them with their projected market or do you come up with that oh, with absolutely. the model? Not, well, usually that's part of what the, the models hire me for. I mean, my, my product's a bit of a hybrid in that I'm honored that you guys think I'm a good photographer, et cetera. I, I truly am. I love what I do. But I, as far as my appraisal of my work, I don't think I'm actually that amazing a photographer. There are a lot of people that do stuff that is way cooler than what I do. I consider myself blessed that I kind of found this niche where I can do stuff that I really like and do it the way that I like it, but yet people are also able to get their value out of it and accomplish their goals. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. So that being said, what these girls hire me for is, yeah, I take nice pictures, but they're hiring me for kind of the marketing plan. So when a girl, you know, comes in like this young lady from Baltimore that's coming in, first thing I do when I start to work with her is I say, okay, you know, let's look at the Baltimore market. What, what kind of a market is it? This young lady's an example is 20 years old. Well, if you really take a look at the advertising that's generated, you know, in a market like Baltimore, I mean, you guys are in what, central Pennsylvania. So even if you look at like yeah. Philly market, or if you look at like Harrisburg markets like that, they're actually very similar. The only difference is the size. Of course, Philly's a lot larger than Baltimore. It's the fourth largest media market. But in terms of the type of stuff, they're very, very similar. So if you look at the advertising around here, it's corporate, it's middle-aged, it's yuppie, and it's overwhelmingly female in terms of the, the buying decisions that are being made. Wow. So now here I have a 20-year-old Latino. Right. <laughs> 
So what that means, it doesn't mean she's not going to do any work. It doesn't mean there's no work for her, but it does mean she's not in the core demographic for the market. So she's young for the market, contrary to the old myth that, you know, you got to be modeling by the time you're you know 20 or it's over. No, not for a commercial model. Mm. 20 is actually way young. Uh, and there's a simple reason for that. Commercial models are the models you see in advertising. Advertising is about selling a product. 20-year-old teenagers, they have no money. So there really isn't a lot of advertising that's geared towards them, right. especially not in markets like this. I mean, even, you know, there's a lot of psychology in advertising. People watch old Navy commercials and they, they'll, they'll come back and they say, oh, no, that's for teenagers. And I have to argue, no, it's not. In fact, if you pay attention in the old Navy commercials, even with the mannequins, it's families of mannequins. Those commercials are geared towards the parents of the teenagers so that the parents think it's a great place for the teenager to shop and hand them the credit card to go do it. Right. So, you know, it's those, those, they serve a double purpose. So for a young lady like this, the first thing we have to look at is, okay, where does she fit in the market? What kind of work is going to be there? This young lady is very aware that while obviously her goal is print work, to, to see her face in print somewhere, that she's going to get her career rolling by doing promotional modeling, which has nothing to do with being in front of the camera. Pro promotional modeling could be anything from handing out, you know, samples of a product in, in front of a football game or, you know, a, a stadium to working at a trade show or a convention or once she turns 21 uh, doing like, uh, you know, beer promos in a nightclub or a bar. Right. That's promotional modeling. So she knows full well at this stage of the game, that's kind of how she's going to start. That's how she's going to get the ball rolling. That If she's lucky and she takes the right steps, some print work will come into place. So then really what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, what are the types of jobs that she's likely to do? Not based upon what she wants, but based upon if we pick up magazines and newspapers and we look at billboards and we look at what we see on TV, where does she fit? What does she look like in those things? So she looks like a girl, you know, she's 20. In some shots, I'm very confident she's probably going to look like she's maybe about 25. This is a young lady that's got a very mature look, so it's going to be really hard to get her down into the mid-teens. You know, if I'm really lucky, I'm going to get her looking maybe 17 or 18, and that's probably about as young as I'm going to get this kid to look. Right. So the college co-ed is kind of an easy one. We're doing a picture of her dressed as a nurse. Real exciting stuff. Right. But the point is, if we look at Philadelphia and Baltimore and the I-95 corridor, it's the largest medical advertising market in the United States. So yeah. in, a, in a market like Philly or Baltimore, it's really, it's more important to have a picture of yourself. Usually I tell people if you're like age 20 and over, it's more important to have a picture in a medical setting, nurse, doctor, pharmaceutical tech, something like that, than it is to have a picture in a bathing suit. Because let's face it, who's going to come to Baltimore or Philadelphia to shoot a swimwear catalog? <laughs> right. Right. Not, not likely to happen anytime soon. So even though everybody always, you know, just assumes, well, the swimwear, that's like a stock shot for a portfolio. Well, yeah, but probably not actually going to get you a whole lot of work here. Right. So, so that's really kind of where the thought process goes in. Right, exactly, right. The, the thought process goes into, you know, what's the kind of work that's there, what's available. And that's why, you know, I mentioned even like the beauty shots in the portfolios, those are towards the back. Because realistically, if you look at beauty shots in magazines and in advertising, one, they're not done in Philadelphia and Baltimore. Two, if you look at like all the makeup ads with all the cool beauty shots, nine out of 10 of them aren't models. They're actresses. They're famous people. They're oh, pop stars. Uh, it's no different than every 20-something calls me and says, hey, I want to be a Maxim. I want to be a Maxim. I'm like, great. Do you ever really read Maxim? Oh my God, yeah. My boyfriend gets it every month. I love it. It's so cool. The girls look amazing. I'm like, no, 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 no. Do you ever read Maxim? <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, well, no, you need to go back and read Maxim. <laughs> because if you actually go read Maxim, Maxim doesn't hire models. There's never That's a model true. on the cover of Maxim. There's never a model in a full-page layout. 
in Maxim. Once a year, they do uh, a lingerie layout, usually three to four pages, and they actually hire some models for that once a year. Uh, and the models are used to illustrate stories, and they're usually in the little pictures that are like three inches tall. So, <laughs> even, you know, I tell most girls, if you really want to get into Maxim, go enter their contest, the, the hometown hobbies contest. That's actually your best bet for getting into Maxim. But Maxim is a magazine, doesn't really hire models. And, and the only reason is, is, as much as people think it's all about the pretty girls, yeah, you know, pretty girls aren't really enough to sell magazines. Even Playboy only puts one or two Playmates a year on their cover. The rest of the time, it's famous faces. That's what sells magazines. So, so and that's a big piece of what I do, really. It's, it's, I call it setting realistic expectations. When people are going to come in and pay me the money, my attitude is I want them to get something out of it. And if they're not being realistic about what the business is and where they fit, they're not going to get anything out of it. They're just going to throw their money away. Huh. So uh, my whole thing is about setting realistic expectations. That's excellent. Uh, well, you mentioned, too, that eyes are really, really important to you. So Absolutely. So I have kind of a two-part question about that. One is, when you're shooting, how are you making sure in your lighting and also just during the, the session that you're getting the eyes that you want? And then also, okay. after the shot, do you do much with retouching, or is it more important to nail it while you're in the session? Well, I, you know, I'm a big believer in get it right in the camera. Okay. But hey, let's face it, nobody's perfect, so I'm not going to tell you I get it perfect in the camera every time. Of course not. As a rule of thumb, the only post-processing that I will usually do on an eye is to whiten the whites of the eye a little bit. I will take out any bloodshot strands if a girl comes in and hasn't gotten the rest that I threatened her she better get because it still happens. So I'll take that out. The biggest cheat that I will do on eyes, and, and I am, I'm, I'm pretty moral about it only because, you know, this girl's going to go out and she's going to present these pictures to get work. If out of the course of 10 shots, the girl's got nice full eyes, and it just so happens that the best smile is one where one of the eyes squinted a little bit, mm. or it's not full, I'll go ahead and I'll cheat and I'll open that eye. As long as I'm not creating something that's not her. Right. You know, in, in other words, if it's within the range where I've got other pictures and I know that eye looks that good, cool, I'll go ahead and I'll replicate that. But okay. otherwise, no, I, I won't. If the girl's one of those people that, you know, practically closes her eyes every time she smiles, no, that's, she probably shouldn't be modeling. I'm not going to go through and open up her eyes because then she's going to show those pictures and that's what people expect. Okay. So as far as lighting and that kind of stuff, you know, honestly, about the only thing I ever do kind of as an extra for the eyes when I'm lighting is some of this, especially now lately that I've been using some of this backlit window light type stuff is occasionally I'll drop a little silver reflector or a white piece of foam cord down below the girl's face just to create a little bit of extra catch light. It's not really reflecting a whole lot of light back up. It's just giving me a reflection of that object to create kind of a, a little bit of fill into the dark spots of the eyes. Honestly, for me, it's more a matter of make sure my lighting is good overall and, and just really make sure the girl is thinking about the right things. As an example, I'll never tell a girl to smile. No model has ever heard me say the word smile during the middle of a shoot. <laughs> Because smile's a trigger. If I pick up a camera and aim it at you and say smile, you're going to do the same thing you've done since you were about four years old. You can blame it on your parents. You're going to use all those muscles in your face, and you're going to pull them up, and you're going to say cheese. And if you have kids, you're at fault. You taught your kids to do it. We all do it. It becomes mechanical, and you don't think about it. And think back, for instance, especially now, I always tell the, you know, the, the young teenagers and 20-somethings now that we're in the Facebook and the MySpace age, I always ask them the question when I start talking about this, like, Tell me how come you don't have any of your school portraits on your, your MySpace or your Facebook page. And they all kind of roll their eyes like, they're the worst pictures in the world. Why would we ever put them on? <laughs> but, but in all fairness, those school portraits, the lighting's better than any of the snapshots on the Facebook pages. The camera angles are better than any of their snapshots on the Facebook pages. They're in focus, all that kind of stuff. But yet they hate them. 
Right. The reason they hate them is the pictures on their Facebook pages, they were actually happy. Yeah, exactly. So it shows in their eyes. It's that sparkle. Okay. And indeed, even if you try this at home in front of a mirror, if you look into a mirror and cover your mouth, hold your hand over your mouth and literally do cheese and smile, you'll see your eyes light up. And then while you still have your hand over your mouth, keep your lips pressed tight together, but start to think about the most happiest thing that you can think about. I'm talking like to the level of a little kid going into a toy store where the eyes are big and watch your eyes light up. And you can tell that your face is smiling, but yet there's no smile. The problem with a smile, a traditional smile, it's actually boring. We all know what it is. It's an icon. We see it all the time. In fact, and this is not just a Joe Edelman thing, the next time you walk into Borders or Barnes & Nobles, go to the newsstand and look at all the magazines, especially with all the, the personalities on them, okay? Look at the faces. Tell me how many times you see a perfect smile. Yeah. 80% of the time or more, you won't. What you see are flawed expressions. And that's actually, that's my big phrase that I use. That's what, what I should have trademarked it because I love the phrase. <laughs> but it's flawed, it's flawed expressions. And that's, that's what you're seeing on my website. Meaning it's eyes first. Eyes have to tell the story. The mouth is window dressing. Hmm. Okay. Even a smile, when it goes smiling, it's the eyes that are doing the smiling. The mouth is window dressing. It helps to finish the story, but the mouth is not the story. And again, because a, a traditional smile, a full smile, it, everybody knows what it is. So people tend not to pay attention to it. It actually kind of, it takes away from the picture a little bit. All right. So really what I do is I teach the girls the premise of, look, modeling is acting. A big mistake that girls make in modeling portfolios, and we may have mentioned this the last time that, that we talked, this is a while ago, but people start out to do a modeling portfolio and they think that the, the idea is to get a bunch of pretty pictures of themselves. And that's like, that could not be the, from the truth. That's the worst thing you could possibly do because the unfortunate reality, advertising is big business. Nobody cares about the model. It, it's not about the model. And besides, when she walks into a modeling agency or when she walks into a client for an audition or a go-see with her portfolio in her hands, she's standing right there. They can see what she looks like. They can see that she's pretty. They can see that she's got a nice figure. They can see she's tall, short, whatever. So one or two pictures, I mean, you guys are photographers, think about it. One or two pictures, we could convincingly show that she's photogenic. Right. So that raises the question, well, then wait a second. What's this portfolio thing about? The portfolio is to tell a story, but not about who she is, about what she can be. How young can she look? How old can she look? Convincingly. What is the range of emotions and expressions? What are the different characters, hence the nurse, the college co-ed? That's what clients want to see. They want to see the characters that they're looking for. You know, and we talked about Philadelphia and Baltimore being medical markets. If somebody's casting for an industrial video or a print ad for a nurse, yeah, you would think that if you know a 20-something walked in, they could look at her and say, well, yeah, if we pull her hair back and put her in scrubs, she'd make a good nurse. And indeed, they actually probably could do that. You know, these are advertising people. These are marketing people. They're creative. Right. But in reality, they're not going to do that. They want it to hit them over the head. Okay. They, they want to see the girl pull out a picture and say, look, I'm a nurse. There is. And that way they say, right. that's it. That's, that's what we were after. There it is. <laughs> so that's, that's what the whole thing with the Molly portfolio is about. And so all of it, though, is communicating with the eyes. I mean, you know, go watch a movie. That's what close-ups are all about. It, it's not what they're saying. And you're not paying attention to their mouth when you watch a movie on the big screen. You're watching the eyes. The intensity comes from the eyes. Because even if you, if you watch the amount of movements, especially, you know, you get into two characters having a close-up conversation and the camera goes in tight on one of their faces. If you watch, their faces hardly ever move. Right. They're doing it all with, with their eyes. It's, you know, it's what's coming out of the eyes. So that's, you know, what is that old quote? Eyes are the window to the soul. Sorry, that was a really long answer to your short question. No, no. I don't, like the eyes. <laughs> I, don't have, I, I don't do anything extra special for the eyes. It's really about getting the girl to give me that 
extra special. Okay. I mean, you know, again, people tend to think my lighting's really creative and I'm flattered by that. My lighting's actually really basic. Like, I teach a glamour workshop and in the glamour workshop, I talk about four different lighting setups. That's it. Wow. Now, you know, there's, there's probably a million variations you can do on those four setups. But let's face it, you know, there's only so many different ways to light a person when you're trying to create these images that are actually somewhat generic. Right. So, I mean, uh, it's the same with poses. You know, models are like, well, you know, where do you come up with all those great poses? Well, heck, go pick up a J.C. Penney's catalog and actually start to catalog the poses. And you'll suddenly find out there's actually only about 10 poses in the whole catalog. Hmm. There's like a thousand <laughs> variations on those 10 poses. But, you know, there's only so many different ways you can stand a human body and still have clothing look good on it. Right. So that's really kind of what it all comes down to. It's actually there's a lot more simplicity than kind of meets the eye. I mean, part of the reason why I tend to match the colors to the outfits and that is because I really want to minimize the outfit. I'm really trying to make sure that it's the girl that jumps out of the Oh, outfit, I see. Okay. Not the outfit, not what she's doing, not her hair. Right. So by, by putting all those colors together, you know, that kind of neutralizes everything. So again, there's a little bit of psychology behind it. It's trying to make sure that, you know, it's really all ultimately the girl that's standing out. So if I've got an orange outfit, I'm going to get orange in the background. Okay. And it's not a hundred percent rule, but a lot of the times, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the direction that I would go. Excellent. Real quick, you were saying about, you know, kind of beating the art director and stuff over the head coming from being an art director, you know, several years ago. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Cause when we would look through the modeling portfolios, we'd be looking through them and go, Oh look, this person is a, you know, can, can pull off medical or they can pull off business. Yep. Sure. Well, the other piece of it is when you get a girl that just comes in with pretty pictures, you're oftentimes taking a risk. But you mentioned before about all the pictures I have with them dancing and moving. A big part of the reason for that is anybody can look pretty and anybody can be photogenic. But since you were an art director, you can probably relate to this because you probably had the experience where you had a really pretty girl come in. You loved her look. Everybody signed off on her. You thought she'd be perfect for the job. You bring her on the set for the day to shoot. And she turns out to be a drip of a personality and either your photographer or your director or production manager, whatever, they're pulling teeth all day long to try and get something out of this girl that's going to help sell your product. So a big part of the reason why I do all this high energy stuff is so that people can see right out of the box, hey, this is a girl that'll get in front of a camera and is not going to worry about how stupid she looks or how dorky it looks. She's going to get in front of the camera and she'll put it on the table if needed to. So it's actually kind of a big selling point because believe me, the agencies see no shortage of just pretty girl pictures. There's no shortage of that. Right. So mm-hmm. a big way of making these girls stand out is to show that, yeah, you know, she's an actress. Tell her what you want, she'll deliver it or at least give it one heck of a shot. That makes sense. One thing that we wanted to speak about is you're doing some cool workshops and it mm-hmm. looks like you still have a number of them on your calendar for uh, the remainder of 09 and it looks like you have some for 2010 already scheduled. Tell us a little bit about the different types of things that you're teaching people. Okay. The workshops have turned out for me to honestly be a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, you know, I make some money, so that's always a good thing. But I, I actually, I've gotten into the habit, my, my own little selfish habit is I always book a shoot for the day after my workshops. Because I actually have a lot of fun going into a workshop and spending a day talking with people that don't know how to do what I do and having to justify what I do. Because I do it every day. I don't always think about it. Right. And and I come out of them very energized and like just really dying to go back into the studio and shoot something. So I've gotten to the habit now. Anytime I have a workshop the next day on my calendar, I've got something scheduled to shoot. But I've been doing a series of workshops actually through a company down in Chesapeake City, Maryland called Horizon Photography Workshops. It's run by a gentleman named Steve Gottlieb, who's published a whole series of books. Steve does a lot of kind of landscape work and people work. He used to do a lot of corporate photography. And he brings in people from all over the country. He's got shooters from National Geographic. He's got a a lot of people that have published their own books. He does all kinds of topics. My role there, I do a series of workshops on fine art figure nudes with high emphasis on the fine art. 
aren't not glamour or you know any of that kind of stuff. I do a series of workshops. Actually, I have one coming up this Saturday on glamour photography, which um, it, it's really kind of a combination of beauty and glamour. We do a little bit of the beauty type shots that you see on my website. We do a lot with glamour. And it's really, those two workshops in particular are kind of one day intensive workshops. And then we also do a two day version of them twice a year. We do bring models in. It's not just an open workshop where, hey, you come and shoot. It starts out with a little bit of instruction on my part with a lot of take home information. I have some really, really huge PowerPoint presentations with tons and tons of bullet point information. I go through some of it in person. The rest of it, they get to download when they go home. But my goal is always that after the first hour of the day, make sure people have a camera in their hand and their shoes. And we pretty much work all day long, go through different lighting types, talk a lot about kind of the posing, especially with the nudes workshop. Everybody that comes in always wants to know, you know, how do you actually deal with a nude model? What is the, what's the best approach? We get into everything from how to find models, the whole bit. And then I also do a series of workshops with them on Photoshop. Two of them are really actually beginner's workshops, which I, I just find they're a lot of fun. One is literally the basic Photoshop. It's kind of an introduction. The other one is uh, a workshop called Make Your Picture Sparkle, which is really meant for you know people that are still very much in the amateur or advanced amateur stage. And then the high-end one is professionally touching techniques. And that's kind of the giveaway all my secrets. Nice. <laughs> uh, so that's that's the one where I kind of break down. This is this is how I work on my images. This is what I do. These are the tricks that I use. We we kind of work through a, a very intensive day of that. The Photoshop workshops are a little bit hands on, but they are predominantly lecture type workshops, and with a lot of take home material and samples, you know, for people to be able to kind of follow up with and work on. And then I'm in the process of putting together a series of workshops, which I'm actually going to run out of my studio here in Allentown, hopefully after the first of the year, one of which is actually a workshop on the business of modeling. So it's, hmm. it's geared for both photographers and models, because I've had a lot of requests for people that want to come in and kind of be able to learn a little bit about my approach to the business. And I get a lot of models that have kind of gone the roots of the one model places or the model mayhem. And they have a lot of pictures, but they can't figure out what are the right pictures to work with? What do I do with them now that I have them? So we're, we're putting together a workshop with that where I'm bringing in a makeup artist that's going to do some makeup demonstrations. I'm also bringing in a booking agent from one of the prominent agencies in Philadelphia so that it's not just all Joe Edelman said. They can also kind of hear the other side of the fence. Right. So, which hopefully is very effective because a, a lot of what I kind of teach the model is actually contrary to what they'll hear when they walk into an agency. Oh, okay. So the goal is for them to be able to see both sides of the fence so that they truly can understand how it plays out. In other words, it's the, don't take my word for it. Let me show you. Excellent. Well, Joe, I, I appreciate you spending some time to talk with us again. This has been really informative and educational, which is what I hoped. Oh, you're you're at it as usual. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. I, uh, I I always enjoy it. Well, thanks. You got it, man. Take care. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other Light Source episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the Light Source Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. You can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of. And as always, if you missed any of these links, our quick outro here, you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.com.
net. Till next time. Bye-bye. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.